To describe someone as one of the outstanding intellects of the Australian Parliament could lead to an accusation of damning with faint praise, but it is a compliment and it is intended as such for our next guest on RN, Dr Andrew Lee, who is now Assistant Minister for Competition, Charities and Treasury and the Labor Minister for the Labor Member for the ACT electorate of Fenner. Andrew was Professor of Economics at ANU before entering Parliament in 2010, but he's continued publishing books on economics and more during his time in Parliament with fascinating titles like Battlers and Billionaires, The Story of Inequality in Australia and Randomisters, How Radical Researchers Are Changing Our World. That uh, profiled radical researchers who overturned conventional wisdom in medicine, politics, economics and law enforcement. Andrew Lee's latest publication is part of Monash University's In the National Interest essay series and it's called Fair Game, Lessons from Sport for a fairer society and a stronger economy. Andrew Lee, welcome to RN. Good morning, Gillian. Great to be with you. Andrew, the big theme of your essay is the relationship between high achievement and fairness in a society. Why do you think sport's a useful way of thinking about the relationship between those two aspirations, which many would think of as being intention? Well, Julian, Australia has done extraordinarily well on the sporting field. We brought home a glittering haul of medals from the Tokyo Olympics. Uh, we topped the medal count at the Commonwealth Games. Uh, we bat and bowl above our weight. And uh, when I look at our success in the sporting field, I see that uh, there's no tension between achievement and egalitarianism. There's a sense that the team is greater than the individuals uh, and that uh, uh, we can achieve, for, uh, strive for greatness while being kind to the underdog. I think there's a lot to learn from that for how to build a better economy and a healthier society. And I believe that uh, Australia's productivity malaise and the disconnect that we're seeing in society uh, could well be turned around in part by taking some lessons from sport. Yes, and you've done a great job of, uh, you know, sneaking in some lessons about productivity and, and important questions of economic policy by uh, lots of fascinating sporting analogies, Andrew. One of them that you uh, focus in on is the concept of talent scouting, and you draw uh, broader implications of, of, of that. Uh, what's your thinking in terms of talent scouting? Perhaps you could talk to us about sport first and then sort of tease it out from there. Well, talent scouts, particularly in baseball, are uh, extraordinarily uh, diligent uh, going around the, the globe trying to find the very best. Uh, and yet we don't seem to do quite as well when it comes to talent scouting entrepreneurship. Uh, there's, uh, I think, leaving behind a lot of promising uh, talent, uh, lost Einsteins, as they're sometimes called. Uh, talented youngsters in poor communities who miss out on the mentoring that they uh, should otherwise receive. Uh, there's that old saying that uh, uh, too many successful entrepreneurs are born on third base and go through life hitting the hit, thinking they hit a triple. Uh, we, uh, we need to also make sure that those who are born on first base uh, or born on home plate, I guess, uh, have the, uh, the same sort of chances. And so, yeah, how would that play out as a matter of policy? Are there specific sort of approaches that, that have been seen in the talent scouting field that you think can apply either directly or by analogy uh, in social policy? 
Well, one of my favourites, uh, Julian, was in 1988 when the Australian Institute of Sport decided it would uh, test a whole bunch of Canberra and Queanbeyan school students to find great rowers. Finds a rower, Megan Still, who's never been in a boat before. Eight years later, they take her to, be, to become one of the first two Australian women, alongside Kate Slatter, to win an Olympic gold medal. Uh, and it, it's just a real testament to what sport does in looking to communities which haven't otherwise been tapped uh, and bringing people to the very top. Uh, but when it comes to entrepreneurship, sometimes we're not as good as that, good at that. And I, I think we need to do a better job of bringing uh, talented entrepreneurs uh, growing up in poor circumstances in contact with the mentors and the money that they need to help themselves and, of course, the whole community. Yes, it's a, one of the really engaging aspects of your essay is where, is the way you weave together thought-provoking questions about social and economic policy with some really great sporting stories like the one you've just told, uh, some of which I, I hadn't heard before, Andrew. Um, could you tell us, for example, about Christina Wills and why you uh, were attracted to her story and uh, how you think the sporting analogy plays out on that front? Well, Christina Wills is, is extraordinary because uh, she was the first person to bowl overarm. Uh, she bowled overarm because uh, when she, she found when she was using the traditional underarm cricket bowling system, uh, the, uh, the, she, her hand kept on catching her skirts. Uh, it then, uh, then caught on and that became the way in which uh, men, uh, men decided to bowl after that. So overarm bowling in, in cricket. Uh, is an innovation innovation that's come from a talented woman. Andrew, you write about how good rules make a good game and empowering the refugee, the, the, ref, the refugees, the referees, uh, makes the game fairer in the realm of sport. In the realm of economics, however, deregulation has been a big theme of economic reforms of both uh, Liberal governments and Labor governments. How do you think the challenge of good regulation is similar in sport and public policy? And are there some areas where you think it's fundamentally different? Well, you've got to have a set of rules that uh, work, work well to encourage competition. And this is one of the things that sport has really got right. We want the chance for the team that finishes last in the competition one year to have a chance of uh, topping the tournament the next year. And so we have a set of rules that encourage dynamism and churn. And sometimes I worry, Julian, that in the market we don't encourage that sort of churn. If you look at the biggest five firms on the Australian share market in 1985, Four of them are still on the top of the Australian share mm. market today, uh, whereas the American top of the American share market's completely turned over in that time. So we've got a lot of stasis at the top. There's been a lot of mergers. Uh, the uh, big firms have stayed stayed put. We haven't seen that same fluidity. And, you know, I, I imagine any of us would find it pretty strange if you were to look at the uh, top, t top teams in a sporting tournament and just year after year they were the same teams. You'd think maybe that's not the sort of dynamic competition uh, – that I, that I want to follow. Uh, a competition boosts innovation, gets you better products, safer products. Uh, it can even uh, provide better opportunities for employees because they have more choices as to where to work. So I'd love to see us have a, an economy which was as competitive as some of our best sporting competitions. It's interesting as well. You write that there's some evidence that a robust competition can reduce discrimination. What's that evidence? Well, most of this is because if corporate margins are thin, it's, it's just harder for bigoted bosses to hire their buddies. Uh, so it's, it, it, it's a simple fact that if there's uh, employers who have 
uh, bias towards hiring people of their own gender or race or sexuality, uh, then they're going to find it easier to do that when there's 10 applicants for a job than when there's two applicants for a job uh, or when they need to get the very best person or they can settle for an also-ran because there's no firm lapping, uh, just snapping at their heels. Uh, we've even seen this in sport. Uh, there's actually some evidence that when Major League Baseball became more competitive, then racial pay gaps narrowed. Uh, so co competition is good for reducing discrimination on the sporting field and in the business community. On RN, we're speaking with Andrew Lee about his essay, Fair Game, Lessons from Sport for a Fairer Society and a Stronger Economy. Andrew, uh, in the essay, you, uh, you mount an argument against uh, universal basic income schemes and instead say that targeted wage subsidies are preferable. Uh, uh, I must admit, I forget exactly how the sporting analogy works on, on that one, but I wonder if you could elaborate on your uh, arguments about uh, UBIs, universal basic income schemes, versus wage subsidies. Yeah, Julian, I don't think we should give up work for the same reason that uh, I don't think we should give up on uh, physical participation. So if you go to the doctor, they don't say, well, you know, probably best if you don't move because you're not going to be able to run as fast as Usain Bolt. Uh, they say instead that it's important to get out there and move, that all of us should be participating in sport and that uh, physical activity is important to a good life. And they continue saying that, even although there's some, some headwinds. We've had a rise in obesity and a rise in, in inactivity. But the advice from the doctors remains the same. And I think the advice from the economic doctors should be the same, even as technology makes it cuts into certain jobs. Uh, there's certainly been technologically driven job loss in the current generation, as there has been in generations past. But if you look at the, the well-being of people who are unemployed, the drop in happiness isn't just due to the drop in income. Uh, there's also an additional drop in happiness that's, that's equivalent for about forty or eighty thousand to $80,000 worth of income. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've spent time chatting with uh, constituents who are shut out of the labour market, unable to get a job. And I've got to tell you, they do not look to me to, me to be the, the happiest people in the, in the community. Uh, so we need to create opportunities for, for more well playing jobs, that should be the challenge for government uh, rather than giving up on work. I suspect one of the reasons you chose sport is because it's a, a fairly broadly relatable uh, subject to try and sort of introduce some of your themes about social and economic policy. Uh, I, I did detect a slightly partisan aspect of one element of your essay, Andrew, where you uh, elaborate on the connections between the origins of rugby league and the Labor movement and the Labor Party in Australia. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Well, it's a pretty remarkable story, Julian. It's uh, go, it goes back to 1907 when uh, uh, there was an injured an injured player, Alec Burden, who's uh, uh, decided to. Uh, take up the fact that uh, the traditional game, rugby union, uh, was telling him that they wouldn't pay for the injuries. Uh, their view, prevailing view among rugby union officials was that uh, this was a game for gentlemen and you needed to pay your own way. Uh, so they got together at the sports shop of uh, Victor Trumper, the legendary cricketer, and agreed to start a breakaway rugby league. Uh, and the people who were involved in it uh, included a, a remarkable number of those who yeah. would go on to, to play critical roles in the, in the Labor Party. Uh, Ted Larkin, Doc, Doc Evatt, uh, people who, were, who stood by the rugby players who wanted to be paid uh, and then moved into Parliament as part of the, the then very fast-growing Labor Party.
Uh, we've got some f- uh, interesting feedback on the text line for Dr. Andrew Lee. Uh, a lot of people want to give you a promotion, Andrew. Another another question here from a uh, someone who says that they officiated both in athletics and swimming and found that there were two competing pressures to generate a great carnival. Kids want a fair comp, parents want a fast one. A socialist <laughs> response versus a market-based one. Uh, and our texter asks, uh, he's also called Andrew, are the messages uh, society sends shouting down the values that sport teaches? Oh, what a great question. Yes, I think sometimes we can. You know, there is a a risk that we just uh, champion the individual. But the the fact is that basically no one succeeds on their own. You know, even in the sort of individual sports that I do, uh, ultra endurance running and triathlons, uh, I've got wonderful teams of coaches and uh, around me who are able to to help. Uh, You know, many of us love uh, team sports and recognise that the most successful teams are far more than the sum of their individual parts. Uh, So we do need to have that sort of same celebration of teams uh, in the workforce and recognise the, the value, value of people working together to campaign for better pay and conditions through unions. We also need to celebrate the role that uh, informal associations play. And, and one of the things that I've been worried about is the decline in volunteering and joining and uh, philanthropy. And uh, that's, that's, I think, uh, something where society can learn from sport. And you uh, touched on it briefly there, Andrew, but I was fascinated and I must say uh, pretty exhausted to read about the role of sport participation in your own life. Could you run us through uh, that and and also tell us a bit about the, the role it plays in your family as well? Yeah, my uh, grandfather was a marathon runner who ran 50 miles on his 50th birthday and uh, my dad a marathon runner as well. Uh, I've uh, gotten into marathons and ultra marathons. I'm training for a 100k trail, trail race in a couple of weeks around Canberra. Uh, and enjoy triathlons as well. Uh, it's just one of those things that, for me, sets me up for a good day. If I spend an hour running in the bush first thing in the morning, uh, it's uh, it's just exhilarating and brings me a little closer to nature and makes everything else feel easier. There's that old saying that uh, if uh, if you eat a live live frog in the morning, nothing else you do will be the hardest thing you do every day. <laughs> uh, so you know, a good good sprint session does make you feel on top of the world first thing in the morning. You know, I'm, I'm middle aged, so I'm always uh, either uh, injured or between injuries, but you, you, work, you work through those things and, and find ways of uh, allowing the injuries not to stop, stop what you do. And, and just finally, we've only got a minute or so left, but another big uh, point that you make in the essay is uh, about the teaching profession. Um, and I suppose the analogy there is with coaches. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Andrew? Well, we've been falling backwards on the international PISA tests uh, year after year, and I think we really need to have a priority on having uh, great teachers in every school. Uh, I've benefited greatly from terrific coaches, uh, but I think uh, we haven't put enough emphasis on ensuring that we celebrate and reward the very very best teachers. Uh, just as great coaches make a great athlete, so too we've got to ensure that we get, our, we get attract and retain great teachers and also that we put our best teachers in front of our most disadvantaged students. Well, Andrew Lee, thank you so much for joining us this morning and uh, all the best for the, the ultra marathons, both literal and, I suppose, figurative in Parliament as well. Thanks so much, Julian. Lovely to chat. That's Dr Andrew Lee, Assistant Minister for Competition, Charities and Treasury and Labor's member for the ACT electorate of Fenner, also now the author of the latest contribution to Monash University's In the National Interest essay series. Andrew's essay is called Fair Game, Lessons from Sport for a Fairer Society and a Stronger Economy. 
Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.